Okay, mic check, one, two, one, two, one, two. Uh, yeah, let's get it. Okay, so if y'all want to get crazy, we can get crazy. Crazy, 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 crazy. What? Great parade. Red. Who drank my apple juice? I, 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 I like to give a big round of to my band, Sexual Chocolate. Play you. What? One game, one on one. For what? Your heart. It was like his dip just... Baby, please. Please. Please, baby, please, baby, 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 please. Yo, you got the juice now, man. And that's the double truth. Root, root, What is up, everybody? Welcome, 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 welcome to Adventures in Black Cinema, your passport to black film. My name is Desmond Thorne, and I will be your host and your film aficionado for the day. And something I wanted to talk about is a mission that I have put myself on that is proving to be difficult, yet rewarding, and I won't stop, I will not stop, I will not stop programming black films within rep programs, and I won't stop trying to carve out a consistent place for rep black film in New York City, and hopefully that can also expand to other places. I mean, we definitely used to have it here when a great programmer named Ashley Clark worked at BAM, the Brooklyn Academy of Music in Brooklyn, obviously. And his programming was amazing. And so no wonder he got hired by the Criterion Collection to work for them. And so now he's doing that and making sure that there's consistent black rep programming within the films that they pick to become part of the Criterion Collection, as well as their streaming channel, the Criterion Channel. And I really want to do this for New York at Nighthawk, which is where I work. And it's been successful sometimes. Like the Tales from the Hood screening got about 50 people in a 70-person theater, so that's pretty good. But it's been difficult programming some other things. Like I have this Rom-Coms of Christmas program coming up. And the only two films in that program that are not selling very well at this point are the two black films. And because of rights, sometimes these black films have to be at our Williamsburg location, which automatically has less of a black audience for sure. So it's it's tough to get people over there, and I wish I could show them all at Prospect Park, but showing them at Williamsburg is part of the challenge. It is part of the mission because there just needs to be a space where black folks can celebrate the great ways that we've been represented in the past. And it has to go beyond black exploitation films, which at the end of the day, somewhat still keep white people in a place of comfort because this is where white people can kind of cathartically 
feel that guilt of being a white person in America and what that means and what they deserve for being that, for, for the good white people, of course, the, the good ones who are aware. And then also, you know, historical black films, like films that are about slavery or the Civil War, and sometimes those would even do well, honestly. So when I'm trying to show films about black people just living their life like soul food, I mean, compared to Tales from the Hood, like I said, that got 50. And of course, that also has genre working for it. And also that was at our Prospect Park location. And in the soul food screening at this point, this is about less than a week away. In the audience are two people from my family and myself and a friend of mine. So that is two tickets purchased. And those two people are people that I know and that are part of my family. So I just want to keep doing this and keep working at it. And the preacher's wife also is at that location because of rights. So it's been frustrating. And at the same time, it makes me want to work that much harder for it. Um, So yeah. That is something that I've been dealing with now, and I think it's a really important thing to keep working at because I really want to see that for us. And then also trying to find ways to make Black audiences feel comfortable in these spaces. I mean, these are very, very white spaces. There are certain rules and things like that that go along with them. And certain ways around these rules and these spaces can make Black audiences uncomfortable. And I want to make Black audiences comfortable coming to see this good shit that I, and honestly, the whole team have going for them. I mean, it's not just me. Our other programmers at our theater, Christina and John, also do a great job of programming Black shit and shit directed by women and inclusive films. So we're doing it for y'all. There are steps to it, and I hope that we will be able to make Nighthawk feel like a space where Black folks can come and cut up and watch their movies. So speaking of Black people and representation in Hollywood and wanting to see themselves, greetings from Los Angeles, California. Today's adventure will be in Blackness and the business, and we will be getting into the classic, classic Black satire Hollywood shuffle. But before we get into that... We will be giving out some snaps and claps. So snaps and claps is a segment that I do every once in a while on the show. And this is a time to celebrate. This is a time to celebrate our accomplishments, our achievements, where we're killing it and what we are killing it at. So this week, and this is a recurring theme on the show for this season because we've talked about this film a lot. We've talked about this filmmaker a lot. Our snaps and claps this week go to Questlove for Summer of Soul or When the Revolution Cannot Be Televised because this man has been cleaning up the awards. And I'm so excited to see how much farther this goes. So like I've said before in previous episodes, this documentary, Summer of Soul, talks about the Harlem Cultural Festival. And this is a big, huge festival, probably the blackest festival that had happened at that point in terms of a music festival. 
And this was a giant festival that had the likes of Stevie Wonder, Glass Night in the Pips, uh, The Fifth Dimension, Stevie Wonder, Sly and the Family Stone. I might have said Stevie Wonder twice, but that's how much he means to me in a personal way. And it's an incredible documentary. And Questlove has won six Critics' Choice Documentary Awards, and that was all six that it was nominated for. So the documentary swept. He's nominated for Best Documentary at the Gotham Awards. He's nominated for Best Feature and Best Director at the International Documentary Association IDA Awards. And of course, you know, this whole thing started off with Quest winning the Audience Award and the Grand Jury Prize for Documentary at Sundance. So I strongly, firmly believe that this documentary is going to get nominated for an Oscar. I mean, it definitely is. I think that's kind of a no-brainer at this point. And I think it has a very big chance of winning. The only other doc that I think is going to get nominated that I've seen so far is a film called Flea, which is about a queer person and their journey as a refugee from Afghanistan to Denmark, I believe. It's great. And it's an animated doc. It's very, very cool. It's awesome. Summer of Soul, though, not to compare apples to oranges. It's just great. I think it's got a great crowd-pleasing energy to it without sacrificing any of the information or the importance of information or finesse in the filmmaking. It's really, really great. And I hope that this inspires a re-release in theaters. I would like to see it again in a theater. I know a lot of other people who would like to see it in a theater. So I hope this happens again. I think we're going to continue to see Quest get more and more love for this film. Definitely going to get some Independent Spirit Award nominations because they be knowing. So I'm just excited for him. Big ups to Quest Love. Snaps and claps for Quest Love. And we will continue to keep you updated on the moves that this film is making. And it's interesting to think about who are the Black people who are in contention this year for Oscars. And it's really not as many as usual. Like, even last year with all the snubs, like, at least there was some stuff to snub. The only things I can think of that are in contention are some stuff for King Richard. Definitely think Will Smith will get in there. Maybe Best Picture. I have not seen it yet. And I know that it has that energy to it, that crowd-pleasing, kind of buzzy awards energy to it. It'd be really cool to see Anjanu Ellis get nominated for King Richard. I've heard that she's also quite wonderful. And Ruth Nega for Passing. She better get a fucking Oscar nomination. And... I can't really think of much more besides all of those in Summer of Soul. If there's some other ones, please let me know that you think will be in contention. I would just like to see more and more of these films really making it up there. There were quite a few last year, quite a few snubs, like I said, but more. Mas, mas, mas. I just want more representation and just more shit, and I don't want it to be shit that is kind of trying to educate white people on a situation or something like that. I want things to feel like the apex in the 90s when we were just doing shit for us, by us, and seeing that get through. So, again, snaps and claps for Mr. Questlove. And after this little commercial break, we will be getting into the nitty-gritty of Hollywood Shuffle. 
Okay, so let's get into the nitty-gritty of Hollywood Shuffle. So Hollywood Shuffle was released in 1987 and it was directed by Robert Townsend. And here's a little summary of the film if you haven't seen it. Hollywood Shuffle tells the story of Bobby, played by the director and writer Robert Townsend, who has dreams of becoming a big-time actor in L.A. The problem is... Hollywood wants him to portray stereotypical black characters with the one he's auditioning for now being an overly drawn gangster pimp. Throughout his journey, we see how the white Hollywood executives pigeonhole him and other black actors with what their ideas of blackness are, as well as vignettes that express everything from the roles that black folks were and still are forced to play, what black audiences are interested in seeing, and how Bobby wants to see himself on screen as an actor. This film also stars Keenan Ivory Waynes, who is... Very hot in this. I have never really found Keenan Ivory Waynes to be particularly attractive, but in his winky dinky dog costume with the sleeves rolled up, mm hmm, he's hot. He's hot. And there's another really hot guy in this film in the black and white vignette when Bobby sees himself playing a noir detective in a black noir film. That's also really hot. So there's some hotties. Hotties with bodies in this movie. Then we also have John Witherspoon. May he rest in peace. Always so fucking funny. The way he says winky dicky dog. Bobby, this ain't the poop butt lead, man. Ain't no poop butts around here. This is not your average hot dog stand. You know what this is? This is winky dinky dog. It's so fucking funny. He's just great. And I miss him. I miss his presence so much in this world. Then we have Helen Martin who plays Bobby's grandmother, and she's amazing and so hilarious and so warm and kind and grounded and just so real. I love her, and I love her character. And then we also have Anne-Marie Johnson, who I recognize the most from the television show version of In the Heat of the Night. In the My dad used to watch that show all the time in reruns, and I definitely remember her face in that. She is one of the main characters in that, and she's lovely in this. So some fun facts about this film. Near the end of the film, when Bobby is dreaming of the types of roles that he wants to play in Hollywood, one of them is a Superman-esque character. And six years later, Robert Townsend went on to play Meteor Man in a film that he would also write and direct like he did with Hollywood Shuffle. And this film was called The Meteor Man. This was, in fact, one of the first films that Ruth E. Carter, my favorite costume designer in all of Hollywood, costume designed. She is incredible. So she has not only done the costumes for The Meteor Man, but also Black Panther. She is a pioneer. She is a legend. She is the moment. She is an icon. And The Meteor Man, I think, is a movie I want to talk about one day. I think I do want to talk about The Meteor Man one day. So second fun fact is that John Witherspoon improvised the hoe cake monologue, which, of course, of course he did. Something else that makes me think of my dad 
in terms of this film is when John Witherspoon says, Ho's gotta eat too. I created the Winky Dinky Dog. 100% beef. Winky Dinky Hamburger. Winky Dinky Donut. Winky Dinky Dip. And I got a new one, Bobby. The Winky Dinky Whole Cake. Whole Cake. Whole Cake. Ho's got to eat too, right? Right, you're right. That's right, Ho's gotta eat. I hate to lose you, Bobby. Big thing coming up, going to talk to him, man. Winky Dinky Whole Cake. My dad used to say that all the time, and he definitely got that from this fucking movie. And third fun fact is that this is another black film shot by Peter Deming, who became David Lynch's cinematographer with Lost Highway and DP'd everything for David Lynch since then. He's an excellent cinematographer. His work in Twin Peaks of Return is incredible. And he also shot House Party, which we talked about. And you can tell there is a finesse to the cinematography in this film, especially in this black and white vignette, that... Bobby is dreaming of in which he plays a noir detective or they're watching on TV, but he he imagines himself in the role. His shots in the black and white section are just gorgeous. They're just gorgeous. And he knows how to photograph black people. He knows how to film black people. It is a rarity for white people, but Peter Deming does a great job consistently. So, my first experience seeing this film is that I actually watched this during quarantine on the Criterion channel. After obviously hearing so much about it for most of my life, I never really... I I mean, I don't remember this streaming anywhere, per se, before Criterion. Maybe on Netflix. I can see it having streamed on Netflix, for sure. But this was the first time I was ever seeing it. This is a legendary black film. Uh, this was one that my parents did not own, so I did not have that early access to it like I had with some other films I've talked about on this podcast. But I definitely seen the School for Black Acting clip used in several other shows and media and quoted. I've heard so many quotes from this movie over my life. And what I was struck by most was not only Robert Townsend's sense of comedy on the page, but also visually. I love visual comedy because film is a visual medium. So when writers and directors are able to also make jokes that are just funny using blocking, using camera, using other things, I just love it. And that's definitely something I want to do in my work a lot. In the School for Black Acting section that I'm referring to, what's happening is not only comedic because of the unfortunate truth, but also because of this fucking blocking. There is a part where they are acting in a scene with enslaved people, and the way that all the women keep coming up into the camera is just so fucking funny. Oh, it's so great. I did, however, of course, clock the gay jokes, just like House Party, which we were talking about earlier this season, and the fat jokes, which unfortunately tend to run rampant in 80s and 90s black comedies. And I know it's a comedy. It's supposed to be funny, stuff like that. And like everyone's fair game. But the reason why that shit hurts in a very specific way is that, you know, being black and being gay, you're kind of getting it on both sides. You're not kind of getting it on both sides. You're definitely getting it on both sides of being part of two groups that don't really fully accept each other. So black people 
growing up and still today in many ways, many places, though it's definitely gotten better, not accepting gay people. I think the next step is for black folks to really start embracing trans people and non-binary people. And gay people who are not black not being accepting of black people. And that is something that I still see more often because people think they don't have to work at it, but they do. Just because you're part of one marginalized community does not mean you cannot be prejudiced to another marginalized community. So, or in white people's case, racist. So, that's why it hurts. It's a lot to grapple with in one's everyday life, so it hurts to see within Black work homophobia. So yes, let's get into these themes of Blackness and the business. So the first thing that you notice when Bobby starts going out on auditions and such for this role of Jimmy is that this entire team that he's auditioning for is white. So already that is a warning sign that what you're going to get in this film that they're making and in this character that they're trying to craft or characters that they're trying to craft through these auditions, that it's coming from the white gaze. It is coming from their point of view and their lack of knowing and understanding of anything else outside of their world. What we're looking for is an Eddie Murphy type. Somebody who can act like Eddie Murphy from head to toe. That's what we want. Someone who can dress like Eddie Murphy, to, to look like Eddie Murphy, to be Eddie Murphy, to give him, him the actor himself a Murphy act me to have a Murphy-like quality, Murphy-esque, to be Murphonic. And of course, this is blown up, right? I think in real life, some of the ways that these things can happen can be more subtle and more microaggressions. But this film being a satire, it's very, very obvious. Uh, It's very, very, very funny. And it's performed in a way that almost does make it feel like a stage play in some ways. And I think part of that, too, is because of this ensemble playing multiple roles, a lot of them. You'll see a lot of them in Bobby's real life, and you'll also see him in these fantasies of how he wants to be represented in these little vignettes that talk about how he wants to be represented in Hollywood. And so you see a lot of these actors also auditioning in his real life for this role of Jimmy and other roles in this movie. And the kinds of things that these white people say to the people who are auditioning, like... Can you be more black? And they tell, they tell this one guy who comes in and says that he went to school for classical theater and he's giving them this, albeit, I guess, well-acted, but kind of hammy version of what he wants to do. And it's not quote-unquote black or quote-unquote gangsta at all. What it is, bro, I ain't afraid of you. What is happening with your cool vines? Thank you, thank you. That You're the worst actor I've ever seen in my life. I, I, I have to be frank with you. you I have, could do it in I'm Miami. Sorry. Because they really want to see these very big and drawn out ideas that they have of us. <laughs> 
when Bobby gets the role of Jimmy, they are so like proud and congratulatory of him. And some of what they say is they're just like, that's our Jimmy, very black. And it really feeds into the beginning of this film as well, which starts off with voiceover of Robert Townsend going through this audition monologue for the role of Jimmy. And this is what he sounds like. So again, what you're getting is very big, drawn-out satire, and there's definitely so much truth to it. Like, again, I got this on both ends, y'all. Like, that is why the gay jokes in Black films pierce more than in other films because, you know, you get this feeling from both sides of not being 100% cool with each other. So when I went to acting school, I got both notes. They were like, be more straight and be more Black. So yeah, essentially what they wanted was for me to just not be to be their idea of who they think I should be on both sides. So instead of giving me roles that would help me lean more into being myself and being truly proud of myself, it just made me very resentful of this business from a very early point. Like, I was learning this stuff from the time I was... A kid, basically. And that's not to say that I'm not thankful for the experiences I had training as an actor. I just think that they really all fell into these very stringent ideas that are presented in this film. Taking what makes someone special, throwing that away, and crafting it into what your idea of it should be. And that's not true collaboration. And the writing of these characters, too, it's not even just the stereotypes that they want in the portrayals of these characters. It's how these characters are written. It's terrible. They are one note, one dimension. This character that Bobby is supposed to play is supposed to be this gangster pimp who is sleazy and ultimately a terrible person. It is important to note that pretty much... All of the Black people in this film that these white people are trying to do are terrible people. And that's something true that we've seen throughout time, especially predating this movie. And then actually kind of more around now, which is crazy to say. I think one of the important things that Robert Townsend did with this movie is to help to start to usher us out of that period. This movie came out in 86. And, you know, that is right before the apex of Black cinema and television, as I say all the time. The 90s, y'all. Like, this 
the work of Spike Lee and other incredible Black women directors like Leslie Harris and then Julie Dash coming in in the 90s. Like, this was really when things started to brew. And not to say that things weren't brewing in the 70s with work that was for us, by us, but like, just the sheer amount that was happening in the 90s is just incredible. I think that is absolutely one of my favorite periods in Black cinema. And Robert Townsend did also contribute to that as well. So this is a big, a big move that is being made and definitely bringing a lot of things to light that are explored in this documentary that I talked about at some point this season called Ethnic Notions. And then Color Adjustment is also a documentary by Marlon Riggs. And both of these documentaries are about Black representation and Black stereotypes and representation throughout time. Highly recommend it. And something that very much hits that nail on the head in this film are these vignettes that Bobby experiences through his dreams and his imaginings and his viewings on television. So the first one being the School for Black Acting, where, oh my God, an incredible, incredible vignette. We used a part of this for our theme song in season one. Jasper, don't you want freedom? We go in the promised land. Promised land, Cleveland? No, Jasper. Baltimore? No, Jasper, the promised land. Oh, the promised land. Minnesota? And cut. Hi, my name is Robert Taylor, and I'm a black actor. I had to learn to play these slave parts. And now you can too, at Hollywood's first black acting school. It teaches you everything. And this is just showing a kind of infomercial of a school where, again, our black actors are being taught by all white people. And they are being taught how to act like enslaved people and how to act like other stereotypical characters. And that is definitely highlighted by... <laughs> Just the contrast in the way that they are forced to act in these slavery scenes and then when they drop the act and they're just being themselves. I mean, there's a enslaved person in that vignette called Mandingo. White people love that fucking word. I don't know what the fuck that is, but I hate that shit. <laughs> I hate that shit. It is just absolutely brilliant. It's honestly something that could stand on its own and really just be incredibly strong filmmaking. And then we have the one where Bobby and his homeboy are playing two black critics who sneak into a movie theater and they review films. And this is a lot about a satire around what black people want to see in a theater. It's a satire and it's funny and it's a little bit of a parody and it's also true. I think that's why it's so brilliant. Um, the f They go through and review films that are adjacent to Amadeus, which they hate. They do an Indiana Jones-esque film. And then they also do 
a black zombie pimp film, which they both like. And it's important that they both say it was full of stereotypes, but we still liked it. And I think that that is also a truth of us at times. You know, I don't like most of Tyler Perry's films that I've seen. I have not seen all of them. And at the same time, I did enjoy the first few. And, you know, like Diary of a Mad Black Woman, I like. And Daddy's Little Girls is cool. And a lot of people love these movies, even though they are at the same time full of stereotypes. I think, I guess something that does make it different is that it's a black person, so it's not coming from the same gaze, per se. So I think that that is part of the reason. And also, I mean, we just love to see ourselves. We love to see ourselves represented, and it can be inspiring to people to see someone like him really doing his own thing at such a large scale. So that's an interesting vignette. I think the first time I saw the film, I didn't quite understand what he was trying to say with that. But this time around, I think it really did mean something different and more meaningful to me. And I liked the balance of also being able to make fun of ourselves a little bit in our own way. Because with this white gaze that Bobby encounters when he's auditioning, you see that they want to laugh at us. They don't want to laugh with us. And I think it's important that this vignette shows us laughing with ourselves. Another vignette that sticks in my mind in this film is when Bobby and his girlfriend are trying to have some alone time and celebrate him getting the role of Jimmy when they say, that's our Jimmy, very black. And he wants to have a cuddly night and he wants to, you know, make out, possibly do the thing with his girlfriend. And his grandmother comes home and she sits in between them because this detective noir movie or show, it's kind of unclear. And then you see Bobby superimpose himself in playing this role. And so we see Bobby in this sequence as the noir detective. And it's interesting, this one. This one has a lot of gay jokes in it. So I definitely was not digging it the first time I saw this movie. I dug it more this time because of the style and because I appreciate it. And I do like seeing black noir. And at the same time, it's like making fun of men in skirts calling someone a fag, doing all of this shit. It's just so excessive and it's so extra and it's so homophobic. And at the same time, it's really well shot by Peter Deming. And the Jerry Curl bit with Keenan Ivory Waynes is hilarious. So he has a very wet Jerry Curl He's always spraying activator on it. And he's like the villain of this vignette where Bobby's trying to find out what happened to this woman's brother. So he has a very wet, juicy, 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 juicy Jerry curl. 
And Bobby, as the detective, takes his activator one time to, you know, get some answers from him. And you see the wig kind of shriveling up every time the camera cuts back to Keenan Ivory Wayne's character to the point where it looks like someone almost gave him like a really, really bad haircut. It is so, so good. So fucking funny. So fucking funny. So I like that this film takes a lot of different viewpoints. It's not only showing how we are and have been stereotyped over time in film. It's also showing us what we want and how we want to be represented, how we want to participate in this business as actors and creators, and also how we want to participate in this business as an audience. There is a point of view, though, that Robert Townsend presents in this movie that I don't necessarily agree with. I think there is a kind of element in this film of him wanting what white people have. There is a part where he's looking at these two white people do lines and some sort of classical thing, and he kind of looks at them with this kind of jealousy, and they're rude as fuck to him. And I think some of the archetypes, too, that he finds himself wanting to be in kind of do feel like they are filling in the shoes of white people. And I only don't agree with it because I really want us to be carving out a space for ourselves and not wanting what white people have, but really building and crafting our own thing. And I think we have done that before. And I would love for us to keep kind of pushing that envelope and pushing that line. And I think the reason why Robert Townsend had that point of view at that time was because that's mostly all you could want at that time. We hadn't even gotten that at that time. So I think that's why I disagree with him now because I think we have pushed beyond that. I think in some ways there is a little bit of regression in making work that seeks to explain us and what we go through to white people. And I don't think that's necessary. And I'm pretty sure you know that if you've ever listened to the show before. And that's a point of view that I'm privileged to have at this point. I did not live through the time of really the 90s, of course, (laughs) because I wasn't born before the 90s. So I did not live through that period. And I did not live when things were much worse and much more blatant in terms of representation. I think a lot of times the representation now that is racist is more microaggressions. Of course, there are things that are still very blatant, like fucking Green Book is... terrible, and it won Best Picture. So that feels like a very blatant microaggression because there are a lot of white liberals that co-signed that movie and thought that they were really doing something. So that's what I mean when I'm talking about these regressions and such that kind of do happen. Um, But yeah, I get to being born during the apex of Black cinema and television, get to have the privilege of that being some of the first shit that I got to see. So that's, that's pretty incredible. That is something that I'm very grateful for. So in conclusion with this movie, This film is an incredibly important part of Black history. 
It is a time when we were able to articulate how we felt in this business, as well as how Black audience members feel in regards to representation. We've come a long way since then, and still sometimes I feel, like I said, there are various ways in which these white institutions want to put us back in these pigeonholes. Though, of course, I do have issues with aspects of this film. It's really great, and I would consider it to be a classic and a must-watch. It achieves what every good comedy should, which is to be simultaneously funny, insightful, and honest. Hollywood Shuffle is now available to rent on Amazon Prime Vidya, iTunes, and YouTube Vidya. So stay tuned because after this little commercial break, we will be getting into the You Better Act Award. Yes, so welcome to the You Better Act Award. This is an award that I give out weekly on the show, every episode, because one of my favorite things to do is celebrate dope Black performances. So I do that here. And this week's You Better Act Award goes to, drumroll please... Don Cheadle in Devil in a Blue Dress. This is a film directed by Carl Franklin. It was released in 1995. And this film is an excellent black noir about a man named Easy Rollins, played to perfection and excellently by Denzel Washington, who I forgot to mention when I was talking a little bit about the Oscar buzz for this year because Denzel Washington, major best actor buzz for the tragedy of Macbeth, which I'm excited to see him in. And his character in Devil in a Blue Dress, Easy Rollins, gets roped into being a private detective, essentially, and searching for this white woman named Daphne Monet, played by Jennifer Beals, who was dating a political candidate and seems to have a predilection for Black men. That's why they specifically send him as kind of bait for her. Now, Don Cheadle plays Easy's friend Mouse, who is a loose cannon and infuses the film with a bombastic energy. And I think, too, Daphne having a predilection for Black men also is a strategy for these people that sent him out to be able to get into these Black worlds and possibly see where she is. And Don Cheadle playing... Easy's friend Mouse gets bought into the shit as well. Easy realizes that he does need some sort of help with this, and Mouse finds himself involved. And I love characters like Mouse who act in such a chaotic way, and they see absolutely no issue with it. Uh, This was an early role for Don Cheadle, and he very much holds his own along with Denzel, which is no easy feat. He brings his own sense of charisma and ease to the screen, and you just love him for it. He shoots at least two people unapologetically and finds a balance between being green, young, and hyper with an energy that assures you that he's a dependable person in even the worst of situations. So this film is streaming now and until the end of November on the Criterion channel, so check Check it it out. out. 
So in closing, some food for thought. What are some other industries you think deserve the Hollywood shuffle treatment, aka a satire that highlights the ways in which Black folks are treated unjustly in the entire industry? Comment on and follow our Instagram at Adventures in Black Cinema. Subscribe to the pod on Apple and give us a rating if you'd like. And follow us on Spotify as well. Thank you so much to the team, per usual. We have Cindy Edward, our production assistant. We have Matt Mozzarella, our audio engineer. And we have our executive producer, Miss Amanda Seals. Next week on the podcast, I will be getting into the nitty gritty of the classic black musical, The Wiz. This may be my first movie from the 70s. Oh my gosh. Okay, cool. I'm very excited to do that. And coming at you is, of course, our next Adventures in Black Cinema screening. This time is at the Nighthawk Cinema Williamsburg location. And this will be on Wednesday, November 24th. And we will be screening Soul Food. And then on Wednesday, December 15th, we will be screening The Preacher's Wife for Adventures in Black Cinema, again at Nighthawk Cinema, Williamsburg. And this will be on 35mm, so we'll be watching a print of this film, which is very exciting. So come through for that. And as usual, stay safe, stay Black, and stay blessed. Bye!